Welcome to Views from the North, a Canadian rates and macro podcast. This week, I'm joined by Adam Whitlam, senior member of our BMO rate sales team. This week's episode is titled The Central Bank Conundrum. I'm Ben Reitzis, and welcome to Views from the North. Each episode, I will be joined by members of BMO's FIC sales and trading desk to bring you perspectives on the Canadian rates market and the macro economy. We strive to keep this show as interactive as possible by responding directly to questions submitted by our listeners and clients. We value your feedback, so please don't hesitate to reach out with any topics you'd like to hear about. I can be found on Bloomberg or via email at benjamin.reitzes at bmo.com. That's benjamin.reitzes at bmo.com. Your input is valued and greatly appreciated. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. All right, Adam, welcome back to the show. Uh, lots going on in Canada these days, so uh, I think we can keep things pretty lively. I agree there is a lot going on out there right now. This is uh, a very interesting time to be in fixed income markets. It's wild. It kind of seems like every day is, is a 10 basis point move. Otherwise, it's not a normal day anymore. Uh, it's If you don't get a 10 basis point move, it's almost like the market was closed. <laughs> Let's start with the Bank of Canada. Uh, it was last week, but I mean, that's still the driving force, I think, for the Canadian market. They came out. They were more hawkish than expected. They warned they could act more forcefully if necessary. Uh, and, and that was a clear nod or hint at, at maybe going 75 uh, and, and Deputy Governor Beaudry said that they could even go past 3%. For the record, they have said that before, so that, that part wasn't new. But still, the market has reacted accordingly. We've seen Canada get absolutely annihilated pretty consistently since that day, uh, and, and even to some extent in the lead up to that. And uh, here we are, and, and terminal rates in Canada are the highest they've been. One year, one year, is it like 380 or 390? And that's the highest we've had in since 2000 and uh, pre, pre-global financial crisis, I put it that way, uh, just to give you an idea. And, and I mean, it, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty challenging world. So the market has gone to price in for sure 50 in July to 50% of a 75 basis point move. And is that right? Should we be pricing in 75? Should we stick with 50? Where do you think we go from here? Yeah, uh, I think uh, the market is doing Beaudry's job for him. I mean, they they have priced a lot in. They've priced in really good likelihood of a 75 basis point hike. And we're going to get a CPI print next week and, you know, in two weeks rather. And based on the kind of if you've been reading anything that Ben's been talking about, uh, you know, we're we're looking for another pretty big print there. Seven to seven and a half percent. Gasoline has been really robust. They're going to make some changes in terms of the basket weightings, which could add a little bit of additional volatility. But, you know, if we consider that during the pandemic, they shifted from services consumption into goods consumption to account for patterns, you know, you got to think at this point, there's probably some shift back toward the services side. And if you tried to book anything in the last little while, you know, services prices have uh, skyrocketed along with everything else. Food has remained really robust. You know, the only area where we've maybe seen some weakness uh, well, even cars. I mean, this is a little more backward looking. Some of the car pricing has actually eased up in the last little while. But if you look back toward, you know, the CPI that we're looking at, you're still going to get really robust used car prices and new car prices. Um, the only area where we've maybe seen some softening has been in home prices. And that's been on the back of the interest rate hikes that have kind of already come through the market from the Bank of Canada. So we're still going to get a really spicy inflation number. Uh, and the market is opening the door for them to do 75. So 
I, if I'm the Bank of Canada, I'm probably thinking I'm not going to look a gift horse in the mouth. Uh, why not take it? Do my 75 basis points. I want to get to neutral as fast as possible. And I've made that really clear. You know, where neutral is, uh, you know, is it two to three percent? Is it three percent? Is it higher than three? Uh, you know, just as I walked in here, uh, terminal was 380 as we continue to underperform the U.S. again today. So uh, I, I think... I think we're going to post CPI, we're probably going to start pricing in 75% chance of a 75 B pike. And I think they take it. I'm, I'm with you there. I'm going to nerd out for a second on, on CPI. For listeners out there, so they are going to make changes to the basket, as Adam mentioned. Probably more weight goes to services away from goods. So what's interesting is, is last time when they shifted more into goods, we had already seen a big increase in a lot of goods prices, and so they kind of missed a lot of the inflationary impulse there. Now we're shifting back to services. I'd argue that you probably haven't seen a lot of the uh, inflationary impulse in services yet. Uh, I mean, it, it's it's kind of still brewing. So uh, I'm, I'm not entirely sure uh, which way the changes in the basket weights will bias things, but I, I think higher on the used cars. It's, it's worth noting that like at the end of the day, I think what will actually end up happening uh, because they just add them in and they don't adjust history, used car prices are already really high. So if anything, they only have mostly down to go. At the end of the day, it might actually be disinflationary, believe it or not, uh, because they've added them so late after prices are up 80%, they probably only have one way to go, even if that's not going to happen kind of in the next few months. Could add a little more upward pressure in the near term, but uh, that that's going to be downward. So uh, I'm getting like one to one and a half percent on the month over month for CPI. That equals seven to seven and a half percent year over year. We'll see. Uh, I'm going to wait for the basket changes to really solidify that. But uh, it's clear that businesses are very stretched. Margins are already quite tight. And when cost increases come through, they raise prices immediately. My favorite salad place has raised their prices three times in in less than six months. Uh, And now lunch costs $18, which I'm not willing to spend. So I need a new favorite salad place. Uh, Just just an example of of, of where we are. Uh, On the bank and and them going 75, I'm I'm with you. Like it, it... Feels as though the market's going to force their hand. Uh, assuming the CPI print is hot, you're probably going to get up to 75% chance. And once you're there, I mean, how could how could the bank say no to that? I mean, unless they come out with a speech and say, actually, we've changed our mind, uh, then things might change. But I, I, I would look for a speech from them anyways, just to kind of solidify expectations either way. Uh, because they, they've done a pretty good job on communication, and I think they want to continue that trend and make sure that they're as clear as day uh, when it comes to where policy is going and what they want to be doing. Uh, and, and the reason behind going 75, uh, even if I personally don't think they probably should, is that they need to be seen as fighting inflation as, as hard as they can. And they're afraid of expectations getting out of control. And so the quicker they get to neutral or beyond that, the quicker demand slows down and inflation starts to go the other way. But I would prefer if I if I were the governor, and I'm not, nor will I probably ever be. But if I were, uh, a string of 50s is, is makes a little more sense to me. It, it lengthens the timeline in which they're hiking. It lets you talk tough about inflation for that much longer, and it gives you a little bit more time to assess the impact of hikes. Although, really, they're they're not going to get all that much at the end of the day. So, uh, we'll, we'll we'll see how things play out. But July is shaping up to be quite interesting, and and the CPI number in, on on June 22nd. Uh, is going to be clearly pivotal. What about that endpoint? What about that that 380 we're priced in, in one year, one year? Is that, I mean, are we just out of our minds? 
That's an interesting question because I, I mean, my view has been that the consumer balance sheet in Canada is in much worse shape than it is in the U.S. We're more highly levered. We have larger amounts of housing debt. And we've seen that in kind of what's been going on, not across the country necessarily, but in like the in the, you know, bubbly markets of the Vancouver's and the Toronto's. I mean, you can even look at some of the outside the GTA cottage country and kind of what's been going on there. Some of the rec property stuff as interest rates have only just started to go up. So, you know, now we start talking about some good likelihood, both of us are on the same page, about a supersized 75 basis point hike coming in July and probably another 50 basis point hike coming after that. You know, I do think to some extent, if you start doing the supersized hike of 75 and then the 50, that you're really just pulling forward rate hikes that you would be otherwise uh, otherwise stretching out. So, you know, does a, a big rate hike coming up in July mean that terminal should be going higher? Not necessarily. Like I actually do think, you know, you're looking at inflation as Joel Prusky's mentioned, it's like looking in a rear view mirror. So, you know, we should see inflation start to abate. Maybe it's, oh, you know, it's not the next print and the print after that perhaps, but, but past that, we should see inflation start to come off. And on top of that, you could see a pretty abrupt correction in some of these housing markets, uh, which would give the bank... Uh, a reason to pause sooner if they were to kind of put some of these big rate hikes, front load them, get inflation under control, and then take a pause to really evaluate what's happened. So I, 380 to me seems pretty high at this point. All right. So I, I, I mean, I agree with you, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play devil's advocate here. Gas prices are up, rose 12% in May. They're up 5% month to date in June. It is June 8th at 1.30 in the afternoon. <laughs> they could be up 8% by now for all I know. Oil's, oil's trading at 120 bucks today, so who knows? No guarantee oil doesn't keep going. In fact, I, I would be biased to say that, it, that the, the risk for oil is still on the upside, which means gasoline prices still have more upside. And what happens when inflation doesn't slow down in the second half of the year? What happens when it stays at, why don't we just call it north of 6%? So even if we go from like 7 down to 6.2 and we just go back and forth in the sixes, can the bank be like, you know what? I think I'm done here. I've done my job. Rates are at two and a half, three percent. Six percent inflation will come down over time. I'm finished. Do they not need to worry about inflation expectations? Is that not a big issue for them if they allow that level of inflation to continue without acting against it? Isn't that what they're trying to do? Isn't that why they're talking so hawkishly in the first place? So as much as I agree, I think housing gets I mean, the higher rates go, the worse this is going to get for housing. That's pretty clear. Uh, but maybe they have no choice. Yeah, oil oil is the the caveat for sure. And and the part of this equation where I, I agree with you in terms of oil prices, I don't think oil prices are coming off. There is a structural situation going on in oil. Uh, you know, in terms of supply without access to Russian reserves as that war continues uh, and the inability or or the difficulty in the U.S. for, you know, their basin to turn on their production, it, it's just going to remain constrained. And add on top of that, let's talk about hurricane season. So hurricane season, we're, we're getting into it. We've had a tropical storm already hit Miami. Ocean temperatures, and this is way off the beaten path, but if you if you actually look at ocean temperatures, they're, they're quite high at this point. So uh, the, um, the NOAA is forecasting a pretty aggressive hurricane season this year, which is just going to you know, forgive the pun, but add fuel to the fire for oil prices. So yeah, I agree. I see those continuing to go up and up and up. Now, at what point 
and then you get into a strange situation where gasoline prices are going higher. You're taking a bigger bite out of the consumer. We also have average hourly earnings in Canada, which are weaker than the U.S. The U.S. average hourly earnings are actually downturning now. So, you know, at some point, these high energy prices are going to take a bite. These higher interest prices are going to take a bite and you're going to get a pretty big slowdown. So and, you know, then you get into the whole stagflation argument yeah. uh, and what could happen there. So it's a really delicate balance uh, if you're a central bank right now, especially one that's as leveraged to energy as we are. I'm not envious of central bankers at the moment. No I think way. they're almost in an impossible spot. Well, so what do you do then? So what do you do if you're 6% inflation, but growth is at zero? So that's it. So at what point do you stop fighting against inflation expectations realize, and realize that the economy is going to soften in a hurry and that will take care of things for you? But it's almost like until the economy softens, you have to keep being tough, which is why you don't want to go 75, because this seems like you're going to get like we're eventually going to get to that point where something bad happens, it seems. Uh, and and so why do you want to be overly aggressive at the front? I at least look like you're aggressive and 50s are plenty aggressive given history. So I, I'm still don't not a huge fan of that 75, even if I think it's probably pretty good odds at this point. I don't envy Mr. Macklem or Mr. Powell, because they are going to have a tough choice to make. And damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't, potentially. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of like short-term pain or long-term pain. If they stop raising rates too early, inflation expectations start to move notably higher and really kind of take root at a higher level, they're going to have to crush the economy even more down the road. Or you raise rates more aggressively now. You have a kind of a bigger slowdown in the very near term, but inflation expectations don't move higher. I don't think you win either way. Which one do you lose least in? I don't have the answer to that. Uh, I, I wish I did, but uh, I, it, it, uh, I can't help but to be bearish. Sorry, folks out there, but uh, there, there's really no other outcome I see. But uh, I guess I can hope that oil prices might go down. That would be the one. That's the one outcome that I think saves all this stuff. But I just don't, don't as we mentioned, don't, don't see that happening. And hurricane season, as I mentioned, will be... I mean, if, if you get another meaningful sized hurricane in the Gulf of Mexico and you take the refineries in Texas offline or production of the Gulf of Mexico offline, uh, you're going to see significantly higher gas and oil prices, uh, gasoline and oil prices uh, in, in the summer months when, uh, when, when driving season is at its peak. So uh, may, maybe a challenging summer ahead for, for all of us. You mentioned the Fed. Speaking of which, which is obviously very topical because it's coming up. What do you think? Like, you know, we've we've obviously seen more hawkishness from the RBA, more hawkishness from the Bank of Canada. Even the perma dove of the ECB is starting to turn the ship around. Finally, being they were like the last central bank to maybe get on board with rate hikes. What do you think for the Fed? Well, they've already come out, and and, and the dove and, and the Fed Brainerd came out and said we're not pausing in September. That's not something to be thinking about right now. Uh, I mean, the, the risks have to be skewed toward them being more hawkish, doesn't it? And, I, I and have to think so. Yeah. <laughs> I don't see other the other way. Uh, that, that's for sure. Given that we are firmly priced for 50s in the U.S., but like nothing really more than that. Um, and and so that I mean brings to the fore Canada U.S. trades. I mean, we'll, we'll get U.S. CPI on Friday, so that that can move things around a bit as well. But Canada has has vastly underperformed the U.S. over the past week, driven by the Bank of Canada. I, I don't personally see a world in which the bank vastly outpaces the the Fed. Like that's just not a realistic place. If you look at kind of long term 
any trend, be it inflation or growth, the, the U.S. is is firmer in both than Canada. Uh, and, and so that, that should mean higher rates in the U.S. Uh, at, at the end of the day. And so Canada looks extremely cheap here. I, I still wouldn't be buying it until you get that kind of peak Bank of Canada pricing. But there's a decent chance that Friday's CPI number causes meaningful weakness in the U.S. And, and the Fed comes out and sounds more hawkish next week. And and maybe odds of 75 start to get priced in the U.S. as well. I'm not the U.S. expert at, at BMO, but uh, you got to think that's where the uh, where the risks lie. Yeah, and there's been, I mean, trades trades have been being put on in Canada. A lot of them have been put on early. It's a typical Canada setup. Uh, you know, Canada looks cheap. Guys come in to buy Canada versus the U.S., uh, and it just goes right in their face, an additional 25 or 50 beeps. I mean, one trade that we've been looking at and uh, the guys have been talking about is five-year, five-year Canada-US. I mean, that trade, which looked like a great receive for Canada in and around 60 basis points, is at 75 basis points now. So, you know, now we're talking about levels that we see during crises. We see it in 2008. We saw it in 2010. We saw it in 2011. And so, you know, we're at, we're at multi-decade type levels where Canada does look cheap versus the U.S. So I, I don't know. Is it worth taking a punt here? Yeah, I do think Canada looks cheap versus the U.S. I think the Canada curve fives, tens being positively sloped versus as of this morning, the U.S. curve was inverted. Uh, U.S. 10-year auction wasn't that good, so it's probably back to positive now. But still, the Canada fives, tens curve being positively sloped while 10 30s is inverted uh, looks pretty cheap. So yeah, I probably wouldn't mind taking a stab at that trade around these levels. 10s, definitely cheap on the curve. I've, I've been recommending fives, tens, 30s. Canada US for a while that's gone pretty well. Uh, Canada five tens against the US as well has has done pretty pretty decently. Um, but it, geez, it's almost like until US until until Bank of Canada pricing peaks, it's it's hard to have high conviction there. That being said, I would still dip a toe in in like five year five year receive Canada US because the levels are just outrageous today. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll see if we still we're still here tomorrow, but they're they're out of this world. Uh, and then just kind of starting small and dipping a toe in does make pretty good sense here. Related topic, uh, credit spreads. And, and I mean, let's talk specifically about CMBs and, and provincial spreads. Uh, risk markets generally have held up better than I, I personally thought they would. I think there's still still downside there. And, and my, the macro view we outlined uh, a few minutes ago should make that pretty clear. Um, but I mean, they've held up pretty well. We've seen ongoing pretty good demand for Provis. Uh, tenure sector has done really well. We've seen the 10s, 30s box steepen on the back of that. What outlook do you have for, for Provis here? Supply has come down notably with, uh, with some better budget outcomes. Are we going to continue to see strong risk markets, tighter Provis spreads, or are we at the tights maybe? Yeah, I don't think we're I don't think we're at the tights, uh, but I also don't think we're at the wides. I mean, I think given, like you said, our global uh, global macro backdrop, you know, I think uh, we're going to see the Fed continue to speak hawkishly and and continue to raise rates, and I think that's going to have the same impact that it has been having on equity markets. As the you know we discount future cash flows, it's going to still hammer down the Nasdaq, and that's still just going to put general pressure on spreads. I think Canada got beat up uh, quite a lot relative to the U.S. in terms of credit spreads, so we've seen some rotation. Uh, that's been mainly more so on the corporate side, but we've seen some rotation out of U.S. corporate credit into Canada credit. Uh, we saw that you know in the last couple of weeks as 
banks were coming out of earnings blackout and starting to issue uh, you know five-year notes that looked pretty attractive on a relative basis. Things like Proby's and CMB's compared to say corporate credit have actually held in fairly well. Uh, those spread differentials are pretty wide. I think there's a couple reasons for that. One is swap spreads have come way off. Uh, part of that is uh, is what's gone on on the rates curve and the underperformance of Canada. Uh, and so that's put some downward pressure on swap spreads. That's brought in all kinds of like your, your asset swap community has been in actively. And they don't generally don't tend to look at bank, definitely not bank deals. And they don't generally don't tend to look at corporates uh, as often. So, you know, that's really favorable for Proby spread, CMB spread. So I think that's why some of that basis has been getting wide. And then again, they also focus on the shorter end of the curve out to sort of 10 year, you know, five year, seven year, 10 year. So I think I think that's another reason you've seen things like tens, thirties, Ontario box start to steepen out. I think we could take another look at some of the wides that we've had in Ontario and longs. Like I, you know, I think we got as wide as an intraday level of a hundred and a half. I wouldn't be surprised if we got back to a hundred and a half, just especially as say the Fed hikes rates and uh, shortly. Uh, and so, uh, you know, that wouldn't shock me. Uh, that tens, thirties box at twenty five historically is a pretty good level, but for the reasons I just mentioned, I don't necessarily think we're, you know, there's, there are reasons that we could continue to steepen from here. Um, in that 10 year part of the curve, you know, if we look at relative value, for instance, like CMB Ontario spreads, uh, that's gotten actually fairly wide in tens, uh, especially as you compare it to where fives are. So I think there's some value there in, in sort of rolling out of CMBs and rolling into Ontario's. And I think the roll down in that part of the curve, the credit spread roll down is pretty attractive, attractive enough to warrant putting that trade on. Whereas in longs, there isn't nearly as much compression to take that long risk. And the same is true actually in, in fives. Like there's a lot, there, there's a lot of positive carry in fives, there's a lot of asset swap roll down. Like that is one of the most favorable asset swap roll down parts of the entire credit curve. So if swap spreads don't skyrocket higher and they stay sort of where they are right now, I think you're going to have asset swappers continue to put that on. So that will help anchor, you know, fives, which will help anchor tens. So, you know, steeper credit curves, I think is more what we're looking at. All right. What is the most prevalent client theme that you currently see? <laughs> well, I've had about uh, 15 conversations today about why is Canada so cheap versus the U.S. Uh, and uh, there's a lot of, uh, you know, where do I hide out in the curve conversations uh, that have been going on the last little while. Uh, you know, the inversion in, in 10s, 30s, uh, we expected. I think a lot of the clients expected 30s were going to do well. Uh, the setup from, you know, your traditional fast money community wasn't as good. Uh, so, but at this point, as we've continued to have a bear flattening bias, uh, there is a lot of, you know, where do I go from here? Like longs, longs continue to look expensive. Fives look cheap, but every day they get a little bit cheaper. And so at what point do we say, okay, I'm comfortable to own that? Um, So that's been, that's been probably the most prevalent conversation or at what point do we start buying Canada versus the U S and, and, you know, I, we're never going to catch the best level on that trade, but you know, we're getting to points that even from a flow perspective, like, you know, overseas accounts, generally speaking, the flow of funds data says that they are, have been selling treasuries as the yen has come off. They've been heavy selling of treasuries. So, but Canada, U.S. continues to widen. Meanwhile, in Canada, flow wise, like we've seen buying. So, so at some point, these things are going to have to converge. And, and that's been a lot of the, the questions and discussions that, that we've been having with clients is at what point on the curve is the best place to take advantage of that. And that's somewhere in that belly area. So like we said, tens are cheap. Uh, f- I don't mind fives, but I think you got to get through some some of the CPI stuff because I think that sector could continue to suffer where I think tens will outperform. So I've still got a flattening bias on. But that's been the biggest question. Where from here? 
That's, that's a good question. <laughs> Don't quite have the answer, but uh, I, I generally agree. It's kind of five to ten year area. Five still have some room to get uh, get get punished a bit here, with bank the bank not quite fully priced, but man, are we close? Uh, and max max I guess bearishness on the Canadian fixed income side has to be has to be close here. Can't imagine it's too far away given how, uh, how how stretched we are. But still, it's really hard to have high conviction on a duration call. I think at these levels, I mean, you, you think you want to be long because we really haven't been here in a long time. And anytime we get above three percent, we tend not to stay here for very long. But inflation is out of control, and I don't know when that ends. And I don't think anybody does. We really never been here before. This is this is a very unique environment, a very unique time, and so it is. It is going to be challenging, and, and that's why that's why we have these conversations. Because uh, you you educate me, I educate you, and hopefully our listeners get something out of this as well. Maybe uh, a good nap. But we'll, <laughs> see. we'll see. <laughs> uh, so I'm gonna. I mean, I I would say top trade ideas, but I'm gonna guess it's Canada U.S. and and tens on the curve in Canada. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of both those trades. I'm a fan of being long. Um, I'm a fan of actually uh, meeting gap flatteners, which is something I know Joel's talked about. I, I, I don't mind like receiving Dece versus say July. Uh, that type of trade to me makes sense. I mean, especially if I look at like three month forward OS curves, we actually peak around March of 2023 and then we dip again and then we peak again in March of 2024. So, which is a bit of an odd shape for a three month forward curve, but I think uh, you know you look at some of those short-term uh, flatteners make sense. I mean, curve flatteners in general, fives, tens flatteners make sense versus the U.S. The five-year, five-year. That's another trade I really like. I like owning uh, provincials versus CMBs and tens, uh, and I like going the other way in fives. I like owning CMBs versus provincials and fives because that box uh, looks pretty attractive. So uh, there's a way you can kind of you know not increase your exposure to the province relative to CMBs by putting on that fives, tens box. So all that stuff to me seems seems like a good buy. Inflation, there's another one like inflation break evens. Uh, I mean, they've come back. Canadian inflation break evens got absolutely hammered. They came back. They got hammered again. Uh, and uh, but I still think there's room room to go on those. I know there's always a bit of a liquidity question, uh, but uh, you know, comparatively, if if 30 year break evens are sitting around you know 180 or 183. Uh, you know, with what we're talking about right now and and persistent oil strength, that's probably still a buy. So uh, I think that product still offers some good value, and uh, yeah, we'll see we'll see what happens. Lots there. Are you a seller of your house? That's probably the most important. <laughs> I don't, I've got to live somewhere. <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, unfortunately, I, and then we all have those anecdotal stories, but I've already gotten a few coming in from some people I know that, you know, I've been waving the, why didn't I put this up for sale two months ago flag? So I, I we'll, we'll see. Yeah, it's only it's only down from here near term, unfortunately. I think it's going to be a lot more challenging on the housing front, but uh, I guess we'll see. Thanks for coming on this week. Uh, very much appreciate it, and I uh, hope to have you on again soon. Thank you very much for having me. I can't wait to see uh, where we're going next in tens and longs. Thanks for listening to Views from the North, a Canadian rates and macro podcast. I hope you'll join me again for another episode. This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns Incorporated, and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO, who are involved in fixed income and foreign exchange sales and marketing efforts. 
Accordingly, it should be considered to be a product of the fixed income and foreign exchange businesses generally, and not a research report that reflects the views of disinterested research analysts. Notwithstanding the foregoing, this podcast should not be construed as an offer or the solicitation of an offer to sell or to buy or subscribe for any particular product or services, including, without limitation, any commodities, securities, or other financial instruments. We are not soliciting any specific action based on this podcast. It is for the general information of our clients. It does not constitute a recommendation or a suggestion that any investment or strategy referenced herein may be suitable for you. It does not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial conditions, or needs of individual clients. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a representation that any investment or strategy is suitable or appropriate to your unique circumstances, or otherwise it constitutes an opinion or a recommendation to you. BMO is not providing advice regarding the value or advisability of trading in commodity interests, including futures contracts and commodity options, or any other activity which would cause BMO or any of its affiliates to be considered a commodity trading advisor under the U.S. Commodity Exchange Act. BMO is not undertaking to act as a swap advisor to you or in your best interests in you, to the extent applicable, will rely solely on advice from your qualified independent representative in making hedging or trading decisions. This podcast is not to be relied upon in substitution for the exercise of independent judgment. You should conduct your own independent analysis of the matters referred to herein, together with your qualified independent representative, if applicable. BMO assumes no responsibility for verification of the information in this podcast. No representation or warranty is made as to the accuracy or completeness of such information, and BMO accepts no liability whatsoever for any loss arising from any use of or reliance on this podcast. BMO assumes no obligation to correct or update this podcast. This podcast does not contain all information that may be required to evaluate any transaction or matter, and information may be available to BMO and or its affiliates that is not reflected herein. BMO and its affiliates may have positions, long or short, and affect transactions or make markets in securities mentioned herein, or provide advice or loans to, or participate in the underwriting or restructuring of the obligations of, issuers and companies mentioned herein. Moreover, BMO's trading desks may have acted on the basis of the information in this podcast. For further information, please go to bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal.